Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of Behind the Visual with Mark Hansen, the podcast where I interview all those people responsible for creating and putting together those images you see out in your world every single day. I, of course, am your host, advertising lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen. And today, my guest is Ryan Hose. Ryan is a creative director at FCB Health in New York. And Ryan has some pretty cool stories. Uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff. One is he was in London having dinner uh, after a shoot. He was by himself at this restaurant and ran into two very famous artists who just started talking to him and, and uh, asked him to go party with him. So if you want to find out who those guys are, take a listen. Um, he'll tell you that story. We also talk about a shoot for a Sprint where he made some huge huge props one was this uh big hamburger bun so and other two little kiosks for ketchup and mustard i'll tell you all about why they did that and what that was uh all involved with uh, we're talking about why he moved to new york from well he was living up in the new york area and then moved to the midwest why he did that then to Florida, then to Houston, then back to New York. So he'll tell you all those things, all what it's um, like to do all that and why he did it for advertising, graphic design. And we also get a little bit of insight into how important those art producers are to creative directors and their relationship with each other. So we talk about that. We talk about how he's lost his ring twice uh, during the whole quarantine thing and why that keeps happening and what his wife thinks about it. So you definitely want to check in and hear that. A trip to South Africa, that sounds very cool. And then we talk about a bunch of random other things I think you guys will like as well. So stay tuned, listen to this one, like it, thumbs up it, subscribe, give me some comments, tell me what you think, all that kind of stuff. But uh, definitely let me know what you guys think about this one and enjoy enjoy this podcast. See you guys. All right. Well, again, thank you. I really appreciate you getting them. And by the way, I like the shirts. What's the deal with the shirts? You know, they're from uh, another, another lifetime ago. So way early in my career, I kind of worked as a freelance illustrator and graphic designer and had like a whole fine art thing that I was doing as like a side hustle. Um, and so I lived, uh, I lived down in Texas. I lived in Houston at the time. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I do, you know, whatever I was doing during the day or at night, you know, as a designer uh, working for different firms and illustrating. And then I do the art projects and they're part of a, a, a stuff that I did for uh, a national show. I used to do juried shows a lot. Oh, wow. Cool. And so uh, there was a, a, a pretty cool gallery in the center of Texas in the Hill Country that I was in a couple different times. And this was in uh, a sculpture and painting show from there. So oh, I like it. Yeah, because I was looking at it. It's like, That's a cool idea. I like that. They're, they're actually they're actually shirts that have been dipped in fiberglass resin and then hardened and then, you know, repainted and worked out. Yeah, because I was wondering how they how you did. I could tell it wasn't just like three different colored shirts that were just hanging up there that you had done a lot to them. Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. Did you grow up in Texas? No, actually, I grew up. Uh, I grew up on Long Island uh, okay. here uh, outside of New York. I went to school in the Midwest, 
And then I um, went down to Florida for an internship. I worked as a designer at a newspaper, you know, doing like little information graphics and things like that. And then, uh, you know, Florida was tough to make a living back then. You know, it was uh, a lot of people just would go down there and just want to make enough money to buy beer, you know, for three months or whatever. So like the wages were like pretty low. And uh, I had, I had moved to a design firm. I was working for them, but still just not making a living. And then I went to, I went to visit someone in, in Houston one year uh, at Christmas. And it was like one of those oil busts, you know, like they would talk about like Houston's dying, you know, there's, yeah. yeah. and I got there and I was like, oh my God, if this is what the city is like, you know, when it's a bust, I want to be here when it's going, because it was just, it was a funny town, you know, the oil money, made everything like kind of different you know i'd be in florida scraping out money to do a design project with one color ink you know printing and people would be in houston i'd be like they'd be like oh yeah we had to cut way back you know we're down to just six colors plus varnish for our printing jobs and i'm like what'd you cut back from oh they're like well we used to have foil stamps and die cutting and i'm like seems good you know oh wow so it was it was just a funny thing i ended up there and uh you know had a I was there for four years. It was pretty cool. You know, met a lot of interesting people. You know, there was an interesting kind of art scene going on. And uh, it was pretty inexpensive to live there at the time because with the oil bust, it kind of emptied out a little bit so you could get apartments pretty cheap and stuff. Well, that's good. I've never been, I've been, well, I've been to Houston one time. I was young. So at some point you could buy like for $99, obviously this is like, the seventies, early eighties, yeah, or like ninety nine bucks or a hundred dollars, you know, one hundred ninety nine dollars, something like that. You could buy a ticket for must have been U.S. Air or Piedmont or whatever it was at the time, where you could fly anywhere in the country as much as you wanted all summer long. Wow! Yeah, yeah. My dad bought tickets for all four of us: my brother and my mom and my and him and myself. And we ended up flying, we had an aunt who lived in Houston. So we went down and saw her, maybe it was Delta because we were in Atlanta a lot. I remember yep. that. We constantly stopped over in Atlanta. But yeah, we were in, we went to New York, we went out to LA, we stopped in Houston. I think maybe we were someplace else. We went and hung out all because it was literally like $99 for the a summer of flying anywhere you wanted. Those are so cool. We, um, years ago, my wife and I went on vacation and she had like a, like a one week window. And we'd wanted to go see her sister who lived in Alaska. We were supposed to do it frequent flyer miles. And it was a total bust. We couldn't get up there no matter, you know, how we could do it with the miles. And so we have this one week time that we have to take because she's like got work projects on either side. And so I'm talking with the person on the phone about, you know, where can I go with the miles, you know? And they're like, well, you can go to Hawaii. And I'm like, really? Hawaii? And so it was just funny because at the time, I mean, Hawaii, now seems really super cool but at the time you know like I was I don't know I was in my mid-20s and Hawaii seemed like a place for cheesy you know like honeymoons yeah yeah so I was like I don't know if I really want to go to Hawaii really and they're like you know okay so we look into it and it seems like it's pretty cool you know we can get like a hotel dirt cheap on Waikiki Beach and we're like fine and but the thing that we did like you did is they had a thing called the Hawaiian Air Pass. And it was like you could fly as many flights as you wanted to for a week. And so we're like, fine. So we'll get Hawaiian Air Passes. So we got Hawaiian Air Passes. We stayed at this little hotel, you know, close to the beach, which was great. Waikiki. I mean, if it's your scene, it's really cool. It wasn't <laughs> our scene, you know, like it's really touristy. 
you know, and it's like, you know, crazy. Uh, but basically every morning we get up, we go to the airport, we get on a plane and we fly to one of the other islands in Hawaii wow. and just go do something, you know, like, so we went to Kauai and we, you know, drove around and went snorkeling over there and saw, you know, then we went up and saw some of the canyons and we went to the big island and, you know, hiked across, you know, like uh, by the lava flows and we went to Maui and did the crater walk. I mean, it was, it was really oh, wow. cool. But like every day we just get up and, you know, we pick a place the night before and, you know, go get a ticket and just fly there. And it was the funniest thing. And then we fly home at night and we'd have dinner in Waikiki somewhere and stay at our hotel and go do it again the next day. That's really cool. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty neat. I don't even know if you could do it now. I don't know if they do those kind of tickets anymore. It seems like it would be hard to make that work. But I mean, it was it was such a great way to see a lot of the island. Yeah. And, get like a feel for things. Where would you, if you could only go back to one of the islands, which one would you go to? Um, you know, they, they all have such different flavors, you know, like, so I've been back to Maui for work. We went back there and, and shot some resort work there for a company I was working for, which was really cool. And like at a whole different level, you know, you're being put up in a nice hotel and then you're yeah. on the resort, you know, filming and stuff like that. The island that was the most interesting, like in a weird, super throwback way, was Molokai. Like um, we went, we went to Molokai. There's a waterfall on the backside that you can see that's great, and you're supposed to be able to hike to it. You know, like we had like one of those. I mean, now everybody'd have it on their phone. This is so long ago. We had a book that oh, basically yeah. describes the way you go find a trail. Like you park here, and then you look for this pineapple tree, and then you walk in 20 steps, and there's that. And so we were trying to hike back to see the waterfall. We got so lost in this jungle. I mean, it was like, it was nuts. And, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, like they talk about adventurers, explorers, you know, like, and, you know, they got stuck in the jungle and you're like, oh, that can't really be true. There was a thicket of, I don't even know what kind of tree it was, but like all the vines and stems grew so thick that we could not physically pass through it. It was just really? like it's a dead end. So, okay, let's just go back and get like an iced tea somewhere and call it a day because we're never going to find the waterfall. And then when we ran into someone like at the airport on the way home that night, they're like, oh yeah, that's like, um, if you don't know what they mean, you're supposed to go down about another hundred yards down the road. There's another tree where you're supposed to go in there. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that, that, that's nuts. But what's so funny is it's like super memorable, you know, and Malachi was the one that had the you know, the leper colony years ago. So it has stayed really undeveloped. As people said at the time, it was like going back like 50 years to what Hawaii yeah. was like, probably, you know, maybe in the 1950s or something. Oh, wow. So it'd be interesting to see what it's like now, just because it was it was so kind of uh, like another world when we were there. It sounds very cool. We keep toying with the idea of going to Hawaii, but the flight's so long. You know, the thing of it is, it's like we... What did we do? We popped out to, we probably popped out to LA or somewhere. Yeah. You know, I think we stayed, I can't remember exactly. You know, we were either in LA or San Francisco. We were on, we were in, um, you know, we just, you know, we had a layover. And so I think we got out of the plane and left the airport and stayed a night, you know, and wandered around and then continued on. Although I can't even remember, maybe that one we flew all the way out there. Yeah, that was my suggestion was that we, <clears throat> we have friends in LA. So yeah. my suggestion was to go spend a night or two in LA yeah. and then we fly on the rest of the way. But I heard now, any because they didn't have a direct flight, but somebody said there's a direct flight from Charlotte to Hawaii now. 
Yeah, I could, I could believe it. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of the, the planes are a little bit, you know, like more aerodynamic these days, you know, you're not like flying the super wide body 747s, you know, and a lot of them can go a pretty long way. Like I've like flown, um, like you can fly nonstop from the West coast to Australia, you know, you can fly, you know, from, uh, you know, like down by you guys, like maybe from Atlanta, yeah, um, you can fly to South Africa nonstop, you know, to Johannesburg and stuff. So you can get it pretty far away. So I would guess there's probably a flight you can get from Charlotte all the way to. Yeah, there. I think they just opened one, so that that might not be so bad because it's from what I saw, it's about the same as flying to like Paris or Budapest or something. Yeah, probably as far as time goes. Yeah, I mean, you know. Ish. Yeah, what what's it take you to fly to LA from from North Carolina? If I'm going to LA, it takes about five hours. Coming back about four. Yeah. And then I'm guessing it's about another four or five hours to Hawaii. I don't remember exactly. It's been a while. Yeah. Cause I think Budapest, I, I was in Budapest two years ago and that was, I think it was like nine hours there, 10 hours back. Something yeah. in that range. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah. That seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. So when did, um, so you, where'd you go to school? Why'd you leave? Okay. First of all, why'd you leave the New York area or Long Island, all that to go to, the midwest it was it was it was so random just to I get mean, away well part of it was to get away you know i needed some space you know my dad and i had like a i don't know we had a challenging relationship yeah. a little 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 distance but the other thing was i had been i don't know kind of like i guess a little more science and math bent in in high school my dad was really, really wanted me to go to one of the like military academies or whatever, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, the engineering thing. And I probably, you know, I probably had the grades to do it. But then I was kind of interested in art and I got, I had an uncle who said, you know, like you probably should take a class. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't really like the teacher when I was in junior high school. And he's like, yeah, well, it's a different teacher. Try it again. Yeah. And so the second time around, I really was into it. And so then I was like, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I was taking a ton of art classes, you know, photography and, you know, different things. And so I knew I wanted to do something with art. My dad's like, well, I'm not paying for college. If you're just got some plan, that's going to be something with art. You're going to need to figure out how you're going to make a living. So I, I thought, I thought I wanted to be a medical illustrator, you know? Um, and again, you know, in a pre-internet world, it just, yeah. I mean, if someone told you about something, you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And maybe you could find one book about it somewhere. Um, so then I started for colleges. I started looking around for places that had like good biology programs and good art programs, uh, not really understanding that if actually you wanted to, you could probably find specifically a college that specialized in medical illustration. I mean, we didn't know anything about art. You know, it was not an art family for that kind of thing. Um, and Indiana was one of the schools. Uh, I had like a few others, but I had only had four on my list. My guidance counselor's like, add another school from the Big Ten. And I'm like, I don't even know what the Big Ten is, dude. And he's like, you know, like Indiana or Illinois. And I'm like, fine. And I was thinking, my thought was, I'm not going there. It doesn't matter. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I always joke that I couldn't spell Champaign-Urbana. And so I'm like, fine. I'm like, no, I'll just put Bloomington on the list for number five. And then, you know, as I went through the college process, it actually seemed like a cool school, you know, it was, uh, you know, big campus, lots to do, you know, the art program was pretty neat. Um, and so I ended up going to IU Bloomington for, uh, for undergraduate, for school. 
Yeah. Did you go in at, to major in an art or as biology or? No, you know, what was funny was I took biology again, like advanced bio or, you know, whatever the next bio was in 12th grade. And we dissected a fetal pig and I almost lost it, dude. I I almost got sick on my pig and I'm like, this isn't going to work. This is not a good career plan. It's probably good that I figured it out now, but I am not going to be a medical illustrator. Well, and when so, I finally post the shots I took from the surgery, you might not want to look at them. <laughs> you know, it just was like not for me. And so then, you know, I'm sure it existed, uh, but um, it was probably when they were stopping uh, calling it commercial art and starting to call it graphic design a lot, you know? And so Indiana yeah. had a graphic design program and I'm like, all right, I could do that. That seems interesting. And so I did like, um, you know, just a fine art degree, uh, but, you know, I kind of concentrations in painting and graphic design. Okay. And so, so did you have a plan to come out of school and just go straight into like medical illustration or was, did you know where you were or just. So I knew I wasn't doing anything with medical illustration. So I was going to, I was going to do something with graphic design. And so when I started Partway through my uh, college thing there, one of my roommates um, was a journalist, you know, still is uh, all these years later, but he was uh, really into uh, the school paper. So Indiana has a a daily paper, you know, these days it's kind of under some financial pressure, you know, as local news has taken a hit everywhere. But at the time, you know, I didn't know it was it was one of the top journalism schools in the country, you know, and he was, he was, he was really into it. Uh, and so I, I went there and started helping out at, in like, you know, layouts and design and was really into it. Um, you know, and you, you kind of move through different things during the year. So eventually I was the, the, the graphics editor, you know, my last semester at college there, which was really cool. You know, I had a, you know, a big uh, team of like, you know, kids who were studying design or photography or illustration or whatever that worked. And we did some really cool things. And so um, I kind of thought I was going to do something with newspaper design. I thought like what I was doing was pretty inventive and it was going to be kind of an interesting thing. And I actually did an internship at uh, down in Florida at St. Petersburg Times. Um, That's a cool city. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It was pretty sleepy back then, you know, even Tampa back then was kind of sleepy, but, but I mean, it was, it was such a, such a fun place. So a lot of the the Pointer Institute, which is like a, a journalism, you know, institute that looks after the health of journalism and stuff like that, uh, sponsors a scholarship at IU. So like top graduate in the journalism school, you know, gets the scholarship and then they get a job at the St. Petersburg Times. And so that same buddy of mine ended up down there. He was down there working like other people that we had worked with at the paper were down there. So like uh, when I went down for the internship, it was just, it was really fun. You know, there was a ton of people I knew from college, but now you're making a little bit of money and, you know, you're living in Florida and, you know, it's just, it was, uh, it was good until I left the paper, which paid pretty decently. And now I was working for a small, tiny corporate, you know, design firm. And not making any money. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is not gonna work out. You know, if I if I'm not making oh, why you went to Houston. That's when I went to Houston. Yeah. 
So I thought I was going to be, uh, I thought I was going to be a newspaper designer. When I was in the newspaper business, though, that internship was great in that there were, were some interesting things being designed, but there was always going to be someone who was a designer who was also a copy editor. Do you know what I'm saying? They were, they were in the core business of newspapers. And if you were just art or just graphics, you weren't in the core business of that you know, company. And for me, it was it was a real interesting thing because after that, I decided I didn't want to be, you know, in the side business of a company. I really wanted to be part of whatever the main business was. You know, I wanted to be where, you know, the things were being worked out, the ideas were made, the decisions were being made. And so um, I went to a small corporate design firm. And then uh, in Texas, I worked for a lot of design firms, you know, different kinds of uh design situations, mostly as a freelancer. You know, I did all different things for different companies. How did you like being freelance? You know, when I was that age, it was, it was great. You know, it was, yeah. it was really fun. You know, like I had one uh, tiny agency uh, that the, the, the guy who owned the agency had clients uh, down, like uh, he worked for like Union Carbide and some of the big oil refineries and stuff. And so he'd get in a car and he'd drive down there and like talk to them all day and like he'd get all these projects. And then he'd call up his creative director back at the office and be like, Marshall, I got all this stuff I need you to do. And Marshall would be like, when's this all due? And the guy would be like, well, they want to see it tomorrow. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so, so Marshall, like, I haven't talked to him in a million years. Marshall used to call me basically at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And he's like, dude, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, nothing. I mean do you need work? And he's, he's like, yeah, I need so much help. I'm like, fine. I'm still working somewhere else. But as soon as I finish up, you know, I'll, right. I'll see you. And so like I do a day shift somewhere else, you know, just like doing basic layouts or illustrations or, you know, whatever. And then I get in the car and I drive over to Marshall's, you know, and get there at five 30 or whatever. And then I'd work, you know, till midnight or one in the morning, you know, getting all stuff done for him. And he'd be like, we're good. I'm like, all right, I'm out. You know, I got to be back at the other place at, you know, 9.30. So I got to go. Uh, you know, but it was just like, I I had a um, I had a funny thing. People used to laugh about it because I never wanted anyone to think I was sleepy. But I was working any hour, day or night. If you called me, I was, if I wasn't already working on something else, I was like, fine, yeah, I can help out. Yeah. And so I could answer the phone no matter what hour of the day you called as if I was wide awake. You know, <laughs> I even had I even had one guy I worked with who knew I did that. And like he'd call me and he'd be like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, hey, how are you? Do you need help? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, are you awake? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, really? And I'm like, no. And he's like, right, let's talk for just a couple minutes about other stuff. And he goes, and then I'll go over the details of the project. He goes, because I got to go and I need you to just come in and take care of this. I'm like, fine. So like he would, he knew that like I might have been up the night before working on something else. And so when he called, he'd make sure I was completely dialed in. Well, that's a nice skill to have. To be able it to was, make everybody think you're awake. It was useful. I would, you know, run around looking for the phone because I didn't keep it by the bed, you know, and I'd be like waking up my voice and just running through the house to pick it out. Yeah. You know, but it was, uh, it was a funny business, you know, but uh, it was, it was kind phones. of, kind of neat to be, have a lot of variety. You know, like I did um, for one architecture firm, I did environmental graphics and signage, you know, for, you know, the small advertising agency, we did a ton of collateral material uh, for another small design firm. We did a lot of packaging design, you know, and like kind of the 
you know, the stuff for retailing. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, planograms and stuff like that. So it was, it was a lot of variety, which I liked a lot. I was really into it. Well, that's good. Cause you understand everything then. Yeah, it was, you know, I was into it and it gave me the flexibility. So, you know, like I could do the, yeah. the fine art stuff, you know, as a side hustle. And I even, um, I used to take some classes at university of Houston, just, uh, I would take one class a semester, usually like, uh, in the afternoons, you know, and tell people I had an appointment from, you know, two to four and I'd be like, I'll, you know, I gotta go. Right. And then, you know, I'd be back or I just schedule the stuff for them either before or after, you know, that's smart. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. You know, I took advantage of the flexibility for uh, that moment in my life. Yeah, absolutely. When did you start working full time for an agency? So, you know, it was funny. I moved back up to New York and I just kind of figured I was going to, you know, recreate uh, what I was doing in Houston, just on a bigger scale. Like I was going to be doing the fine art and, you know, hustling, doing design. And um, New York was a completely different scene. It was, uh, well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of intensity to it, you know. It was also, it was also weird. When I, the timing when I moved up was a recession in New York. It wasn't really a recession in Houston, so, but it was a recession in New York. Like, and I was interviewing places, you know, saying, well, do you guys hire freelance? And they're like, well, yeah, you know, but, you know, we've had some layoffs. So like, like the last 10 or so people that we laid off, you know, we bring back freelance if we need them. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay. So it was definitely, uh, it was like a really tight labor market. It was not going well. I thought, you know, like I had plenty of money saved up to figure out. And so- Were you just on, tired of Houston and just ready to get back up North? No, you know, I was, uh, I was dating someone long distance. You know? uh, okay. And uh, she had woman. a whole career going on. And I mean, she's my wife now, but right. she, had whole, <laughs> she had a whole career going on uh, in New York. And I could pick, I figured I could pick up and move and she couldn't do what she was doing down there. Right. So, uh, I figured, well, right. it worked out. Yeah, it did. It was good. Yeah. Um, so, um, I ended up getting, um, a lead from, I got a lead from someone I met in a deli, if you can believe it. It's like a total, really? New, York, total New York story. So, um, like a lot of this, this stuff in New York uh, was a little more uh, plugged into the whole Mac thing than they had been in Texas. You know, maybe they were a year or two ahead on the curve, right. you know? And so pretty much I figured I needed computer skills to get the work I did. So I was doing like a, a weekend class on the Mac, you know, just to make sure, you know, my skills were tighter. And when we had a lunch break, I went around the corner to a deli and, you know, ordered a sandwich and there was a paper on the table and I was sitting there flipping through the newspaper while I was waiting for the sandwich to be made. And uh, this guy comes up to me and he goes, well, I'd let you keep it, but I haven't even read it. And I'm like, oh, oh, dude, this is your paper. Oh, sorry. So we started talking and, and you know, uh, he was asking me what I did. And I said, you know, I'm, you know, designer and looking for work doing that. And he goes, oh, you know, send me your resume. You know, I, I work at a place that, you know, does a lot of uh, retouching and graphics with people. You know, I know people. And I was thinking, okay, you know, come on. You know, people okay. say this all the time and then nothing happens. You know, but I sent him the resume. It, dude, he turned out to be like a one-man wrecking crew. He was insane. Like, he probably sent me on four or five different interviews, all these different oddball places. And <laughs> the, the first agency I ended up working at in... Uh, New York. Originally, he's like, no, I'm not going to, don't go there. It's just, you know, they're a bunch of snot-nosed kids. 
And then like, I'm talking to him like a month or two later, he's like, look, he goes, they're still in business. He goes, I really figured they were going to self-destruct by now, but they haven't. So here, oh, wow. here, here's a name and a number, call these people. And so I ended up going there. Um, it was, uh, you know, a small agency and uh, kind of a startup kind of vibe. And I went into- Are they their still team. around today? No, they, no. Uh, so they were- um, Mazina Brown. So they, uh, it was like uh, an agent, well, ties back to North Carolina. They um, took the Camel account from YNR a million years ago. And so they were doing cigarette advertising. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, everybody was back and forth to North Carolina. Oh, um, yeah, Winston Salem. Yeah, but, um, exactly. But that was, uh, that was my opening uh, gambit into, into uh, advertising in New York. So I went to work in their studio. You know, they said, can you get all this stuff out the door? I'm like, yeah, I can do this, you know? And so I was in the studio and I'm like, you know, I really would prefer to be an art director. And they're like, okay, you know, you can show us stuff, you know, and we'll see what happens, you know? And so it was just one of those things, you know, if you do a good job taking care of problems in, you know, the studio, they're going to give you other problems to solve. And if you do a good job <laughs> yeah. solving those, they'll give you something else. And so, I don't know, like a year later, I was an art director there, you know, going crazy, trying to take care of stuff. Wow. That's kind of cool, though. Especially yeah. just meeting some dude in a deli. It was a, a guy in a deli. And, you know, to this day, it's like, that's the most amazingly serendipitous kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, at the time, I was doing all the, you know, help wanted and talking to people and networking and all of that stuff. And I was interviewing a lot of places. But like I said, the market was super tight. So the fact that he's like, you know, send me your resume. And I'm like, Sure. <laughs> we'll try this, you know, no, no expectations. So the fact that that was the connection, you know, in a roundabout way that eventually reeled it in was crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So when you went to became an art director, mm -hmm. did you do you like that better? Did you like that better than being just doing the design, the graphic design stuff? Yeah. So I think what was I think what was frustrating for me was um, when you were the designer, a lot of times you were hired by an advertising agency and there was like an art director there and a creative director there, you know, and a chief creative officer there. And like, whatever you were doing, even if you were really passionate about the design part of it, like you were like adjusting the point size of the type or you were right. scaling the picture up or down or something. And after a while, I was just like, I wanted to be closer to where the decisions were being made, you know? And I'm like, okay, if you're the art director, you're laying it out and then you get to hire a designer, you get to hire an illustrator, you right. hire a photographer. And I'm like, let me try that for a while. And so for me, I always loved the collaboration, you know, like I love, you know, talking with a photographer and saying, this is what we were thinking. These are some swipe we pulled and then, you know, deciding what we're going to do and who we're going to cast and where we're going to shoot it and how we're going to light it. Or, you know, when you're working with an illustrator and you're like, I love your style. I like these things about it, you know, but these are the things I want to emphasize when we bring it to life. And, you know, these are the kind of, you know, feeling I want to convey. And that collaboration to me is, is so cool. It's like the best part of what we do. Because yeah, yeah. it's you have an idea of what you want, and then you hire someone else, you work with someone else, you, you you know you collaborate with them, and you're like, this is what I was thinking. What are you thinking? And they'll show you something you know that's fresh or unusual or different than what you expected, but it's cool. And you're like, okay, I like some of this, but you know not this part of it. Yeah. You know, and so 
I think I I think it's always been about trying to get more of that. You know, as as I've kind of worked through my career higher up and stuff like that, I feel like it's you know looking for those opportunities to collaborate with interesting people. You know, these days you're working with dev people or you're working with interaction designers and photographers and illustrators and you know you know directors and just doing a lot of different things. And you know, there's new new opportunities these days for that you know you have a lot with uh you know sort of data and analytics the collaboration can you know inform what you're doing creatively in interesting ways but that collaboration when you find someone who's like kind of a kindred spirit is really kind of powerful and interesting oh yeah it's fun yeah i know what you mean do you get you just talk about data and analytics how much of that do you get from my phone from your phone? <laughs> From just a phone. My wife, we were talking about, you know, how you say something and it shows up for an ad on your phone. Oh, yeah. She said now her phone's reading her mind because she was sitting in my daughter's car the other day and she saw a little, uh, yesterday, she saw a little tear in her seat and she has leather seats and she was mm -hmm. like, thinking in her head, she needs to get that fixed. So next thing I know, I got an email going, fix these leather, fix leather. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it went from hearing what I say to reading my mind. You know, I think... I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, we were just talking about it the other day. There's sort of an uneasy truce or awkward piece that people have made with it, that they like the phone, they like having yeah. you know Google at their fingertips, but they all feel pretty convinced that it's listening to our conversations. And sometimes it's creepy and sometimes it really is helpful because you're like, I do need my leather seats fixed. Right, That's yeah. great. Let me, let me see, see how much this is going to cost before this gets worse. Yeah. I told her, I was like, send me the email. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, sometimes it's a little spooky. Yeah. We were talking two, two times it happened that I thought was really weird. I was talking about these, those little coffee mugs that look like camera lenses. I yeah. hate them. I just, I think they're, they irritate me because if I'm on set and somebody has one, I'm thinking somebody has my lens out and I realize it's not or whatever. And my assistant and I were talking about it on set one day, my visual mm -hmm. tech and I, and I was just, I've never looked them up ever. He didn't look them up. We're just talking about how they're irritating or mm -hmm. I didn't like them. He kind of thought they were cool, whatever. I get home that night. I'm flipping through Instagram, boom, ad for those mugs. And then my wow. wife and I were talking one morning about, she drinks a lot of pH water. Mm -hmm. Well, I read like two years ago and we had moved to a different house. I hadn't looked this up since we'd moved. I said, I read that you could drop lemon juice in your water and that will up the pH in it and give nope. you pH water. That night she's flipping through Instagram and she's getting ads for pH waters. I was like, okay, that's wow. Cool. Yeah. Have you guys thought about having a conversation about finding money in your backyard? I need to. Because I think that, I mean, if you could get that to work out for you guys, it would be huge. Oh, it would be amazing. Yeah. My, my youngest daughter went around though. She went around one day just holding her phone up by her going Gucci, 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 but never got a Gucci ad ever. <laughs> it's like, I don't know they advertise on Instagram. <laughs> it was, it was, it was funny. Uh, we were, some friends had like a brunch, you know, people we've known for a long time. The other day there was six or seven of us over there and Someone said something about like not wanting to, you know, you know, like having a, a love hate with, you know, the, the smart objects. Yeah. And someone said something and all of a sudden the phone said, I can't find information on that. And mm -hmm. and someone's like, oh, that's crazy. Why the phone even wake up like that? And they're like, I know I hate it when it does that all the time. 
And someone else in the conversation said, oh, do you guys have an Alexa? And both the people who lived at the house turned in the same direction as if there was a person named Alexa there <laughs> and saying, don't wake her up. And I'm like, what? And so they're like, you know, she'll ruin the conversation if she starts being part of it. Don't say her name. I'm like, you're not supposed to say Alexa. They're like, no. And I'm like, oh my God. And so it was very funny because it was almost like it was Alexa was sleeping in the corner. And if you woke her up, it was going to derail the conversation. And I was like, that's pretty funny. Yeah, the worst thing is that's my daughter, my oldest daughter's name is Alexa. And she hates it now. She's like, everybody's like, so especially when she meets some smart ass guy. Mm -hmm. it's like what's your name alexa they say oh hey alexa and then he'll come up like you know go get me a drink or alexa i used to have a rep my old rep and mm -hmm. he would always have me on speakerphone he had one and he would if he asked about her he would say so how's your daughter whose name cannot be named oh my god because he didn't want to say it because anytime he would i'd say it or he'd slip up and say it, you'd hear that thing go off in the background that's funny yeah, that's funny is does she is she like decided she's gonna go by alex or something now just no, to, she still uh, kept it alexa okay um, she even has a roommate just moved in she has four three roommates one mm -hmm. moved out so another girl moved in and her name's alexa too so now there are two alexas in the same house that's so that's pretty funny how that's gonna work out yeah they're gonna have to go with something other than amazon they'll have to go with the google you yeah know, they're not doing google. the and the thing is i don't know why amazon had to pick alexa I mean, they could have come up with something. Can't you call it something else? And they really called something else anyway. And then they <laughs> Amazon something. I don't remember what the hell it's called, but other than Alexa. But then I heard there's some woman actually named Siri. So <laughs> that's annoying. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming she was Siri before Siri. Oh, yeah. She was Siri was before named. Siri. Yeah. Cause some woman told Alexa that she would, like, I'm thinking about naming my daughter Alexa. And she went, let me tell you all the reasons you should not do that. <laughs> Right. I have a long list of those. Yeah. Dude. Now, when you shoot, do you shoot with the same, like, kind of crew over and over again, if you can? As much as I can. Yeah. 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 So it's, you kind of get the familiarity. Which know, is nice, because I don't yeah. have to bitch people out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's mainly for putting my equipment away the wrong in the wrong places or missing equipment. So if I go missing something, I go, hey, where'd you put this? And they go, oh, sorry, I ended up putting it over here because of whatever, you know? Yeah. So if I have the same crew, they all know where everything goes. So I don't have to go, why did you put that lens over in with the lights or whatever? You know? Yeah, but that's like, that's so critical. I mean, obviously if you got plenty of time, it's not a big deal, you can look around for it. But yeah. a lot of times it's, you know, four hours of prepping, waiting and nothing's happening. And then you got, you got eight seconds that, you know, it's like a massive flurry of activity where you're supposed to yeah, get exactly. the shot. And it's like, you know, four hours of cleaning up and driving home. And I have, you know, so if you, is I have people I've worked with in different places. So if I'm in New York, I have people I've worked with. So yeah, 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 that makes home. sense. So it, it all works out. And it's, it's if I can't bring the people from here with me. So it's all good. But I've lost, I lost a reflector one time and a, another fabric for a huge reflector disappeared because it was with people I'd never worked with before and they just left it or didn't look for it or I don't know, took it home with them. I'm not sure what the hell happened, but there's, there's some kid running around with it as a cape in his backyard, right? Probably. Now. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know it, how it got there. It the weirdest the thing is you have this, I had this huge umbrella diffuser. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I brought it on the flight with me cause it wouldn't fit in the bag. So I brought it, like just put it on my shoulder, brought it, put it up in the overhead Forgot it was in there. Mm -hmm. 
figured it out 30 minutes, 45 minutes later when I got home, called the airport. They checked. Somebody had taken it with them. I was like, what you, the hell are you going to do with like a six-foot umbrella or do whatever? You know, do you know the funny thing, though, is whenever it rains on the golf course, that guy and eight of his <laughs> friends are like super dry. No one, no one gets wet ever. They're very happy. He was super hey, look what I found on the plane. <laughs> it's illuminized. It's the greatest thing. I don't know who thought to do this. Uh, hey, so do you, what was the first job you did? You just thought that this is really cool or you saw your work. Cause I remember like when I first started, there was a billboard that went up for me of some stuff. First of all, was, my first reaction was, Hey, cool billboard. My next reaction was pissed because I didn't give you usage for the billboard, but <laughs> <laughs> It was cool to see it. Do you what was like the first time that happened to you? Do you remember? You know, like I kind of I kind of eased into things. You know, like in college, I would do like little ads, and I'd see them in the paper. Or I'd do layouts, and you know, you the paper was a fast turnaround. Like you do the layout, and it would be done on like Tuesday or Wednesday, and you'd see it in Friday's like section front. You know, and sometimes it was cool. You'd be like, "Wow, that's great," and other times you'd be like, "God, the color turned out." really crappy on that. I don't even know what happened with the separation, you know? And so then, you know, like there'd be this sort of bitterness, you know, and then like uh, definitely when I was in Houston, I was working on some bigger projects. Like I did all the signage for a shopping center redesign. It was kind of cool to go into the shopping center when it was done and be like, that looks awesome. You know, or like I did a big billboard that was like in the shape of a shopping bag for a retail center. You know, when it was finally built, you're like, wow, that looks, that looks awesome. They did a great job. But I think one of the funniest times, one of the first, uh, you know, like TV spots I did, we had this whole elaborate concept, you know, that um, we were talking about, like it was when phone service had been all deconstructed and you get long distance from one place and local from another. And, if you wanted features, it was something else and everything you paid a la carte. And so we were comparing it now that in like certain markets, uh, Sprint was was our client and they were offering uh, they were offering it as a package deal, you know, for a flat price. And so we had this whole concept of buying your burger in pieces, you know, and like you'd go one place and just get a patty and then oh, you go yeah. one place and get a bun. And, you know, like so we we kind of, uh, my partner and I worked up this, this great version of it. And like, it was really fun. It was like, so then we're like, oh, it'd be cool. Like if the bun place felt like those little 1950 kind of kitschy roadside things. And so we built like a whole bun shaped, you know, thing on the side of the road. And like we built little photo mat size booths for ketchup and mustard in this parking lot. And, you know, like I had like sketched them out like as little sketches and the director was really into it. And we're like, cool. And then standing there on location that day, you know, when the cranes lowering the bun into the parking lot, the bun booth. And you're like, oh, my God, that looks freaking amazing. You know, it's like they carved it out of foam and it's like got its little sesame seeds on it. You're like, that's nuts. And then you go around the corner and there's the photo mat booths, you know, like in the parking lot, like at a high school or something, you know, but it looks like, and you're like, that looks so cool. So that was like one of the craziest things. That was like just recognizing that, you know, the interesting things that you could think up in your head, you know, like with your partner, just concepting. And then you get the right director who's into it or the production company. And all of a sudden it's coming to life and you're like, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty fun. 
I had a nice budget for that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, we did some of it. We did. We did a lot of it like that particular one. We did it like on a shoestring. They really? did. Yeah. The director had was super great at just like trying to get things done, you know, in a kind of fun or funny way, you know, like without going crazy. And so like the burger place, we rented a burger place and then just decorated the one window where we drove up, you know. And so then, you know, like we just went there early. And so we were out of there before their lunch, you know, business started oh, rolling yeah. in, you know, and so we didn't have to build out a lot. It was just like we decorated it and then, you know, got our three shots there and then raced away, you know. And so it was it was uh, it was a really creative, uh, you know, that whole campaign. We did it for a while. Hit that director and a couple other directors worked on it. And every one of them was fun. We had a ton. We had a ton of uh you know, just funny experiences doing it, interesting characters, you know, gotcha. visuals that were really unusual. So it was, it was always a good time. Yeah, I bet. Wow. Yeah. Do, so out of all the shoots you've done, what would you, th what would be your favorite one? Um, you know, that's like, it's like such a, uh, you know, funny question. I, I don't know that you have like a favorite shoot. Um, I ended up over the years doing a lot of international production eventually, yeah. which was always like, um, let's go with that. Where did you go? That was the most interesting or coolest place internationally. I have done the most overseas shooting in South Africa in and around Cape town, which is beautiful. You end up doing that a lot of times if you need outdoors, natural daylight, but you need to shoot in the winter. So like yeah. you need it, you need your stuff for February you know, where are you going to get it? So you end up going to South Africa because it's opposite seasons. Uh, it's a great place to shoot. There's great film infrastructure. And that was like one of those moments, Mark, where it was just so crazy. I The first time I went there, um, my creative director called me in. He's like, uh, could you do me a favor? I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever you need. Let me know. He's like, great. I just need you to cover a shoot. Did you, did you know Jacques was leaving? And I'm like, no, you know, I didn't know. He goes, could you just cover a shoot for him? I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever you need. He's like, great, you're going to South Africa in three days for three weeks. I'm oh. like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go back and clear my calendar. <laughs> wow. And so and so it turned out to be like a great experience. Uh the the woman I went to shoot with uh became my partner for at work for years and is still a great friend of mine. Um, but we're there working on it, and like we had like an afternoon off and we were down. We drove down to the Cape of Good Hope and I was like standing there and I was literally like kind of my head was spinning. It was one of those things where earlier in the week, I wasn't even I wasn't aware that I was going to be there. Right. And now I'm standing there on, you know, on this you know rock and it has the sign says Cape of Good Hope and whatever. And you're thinking, I read about this like in social studies in seventh grade and it just seemed like you know, a place like you're never going to be there ever. Yeah. And now you're standing there. And I'm like, it, it was just, it was, it was really kind of crazy. You know, like the whole experience was completely surreal. That's and crazy. after that, I think I was really hooked. I really dug it. You know, we did, we did some other productions there for, you know, that brand and some other brands. Um, I've done some production. I did a production in Thailand, which was, oh, wow. you know, crazy really interesting you know uh a super cool experience um 
you know, that production was a little tortured because there was a lot of politics back at the agency that was going on behind the scene. Oh, yeah. And then I love Thailand. Bangkok was so cool. You know, it was just a really interesting country. And then probably within a year of us being there, it kind of got a little chaotic again. So that was kind of, I felt bad because I just, you know, thought it was a really cool place. You know, we've done stuff, you know, the usual, I finally got to Vancouver. That's one that people always go to. I've never been there for yeah. years and years, but I just shot up there a couple of years ago. I used to do a lot of productions in Montreal because I did, uh, I was a creative director uh, for uh, Canada for some of the brands I worked on. So I was based out of New York. Oh, and wow. my account team was up in Toronto and then our clients were up in Canada. So, you know, we'd work on the business from the U.S. Uh, but whenever we do productions, we do them in Montreal so we could shoot in English and French. You know, we do the we do two oh, versions yeah. of the commercials. Yeah, so, cool. yeah, that's way better to have somebody overdub it. I hate the dubbing. I mean, we've had to do it sometimes when there was like no budget. Yeah. You know, but so many times we would be like, listen, let's figure out a way to do a standalone French version of it because we know the people, the French Canadian people don't like the English spots overdub. They feel like it doesn't represent their culture. It's a different vibe. It's a different thing. You know, it's just, you know, it'd be like, you know, different parts of the U S are really different than each other. You know, like Idaho and New York city are not the same. And so mm. wouldn't try and, you know, advertise to the two markets the same way. So, you know, it was really cool to be able to do, you know, two different productions or, you know, separate things. And we had, you know, really fun people that we worked with. There was a French uh, copywriter who had been in the business a million years, who was awesome and hysterical. And, uh, you know, he'd work with us when we would do the French versions of it to make sure that we weren't going off the <laughs> reservation or whatever. Yeah. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And in, in Quebec, I'm like, okay, right. help me out here. And so, you know, we had a great producer up there. So it was good. You know, we do that. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, because sometimes I'm watching some show on Netflix. I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. gonna be able to make it through it. It's um, Money Heist, I think is the name of it. Mm. And it's I'm pretty sure it's shot in Spain. Mm. It's in Spanish, mm -hmm. but they've overdubbed it into English. Mm. And I think the people doing the overdubbing are not the greatest actors. Yeah. So you're just watching. You go, that just sounds like you're just bored or reading I'm like, i don't know i'm interested in the storyline just to kind of see where it goes but the overdubbing just got me to the point right now. so the fact that you guys are doing both the english and the french version i think is way better you know it's funny because that you, you talk about that it's i've watched a couple things that were shot in another language and dubbed and after a while you could get beyond it and kind of just roll with it the content was okay I prefer them when there's subtitles in movies yeah know? i'd rather have the subtitles i think yeah at least then I can assume watch the acting and be like, okay, and I don't have to listen to somebody who sounds like they're bored reading lines. Right. And you kind of get the performance the way it was originally, you know, yes. planned out. Yeah. I prefer that. I prefer that too. So, okay. You did the whole thing. You've worked on both commercial side or the consumer side and the pharmaceutical side now. Yep. What's the big difference between the two? First of all, why do pharmaceutical companies make it so that they want to own everything and you can't as a photographer you can't i'm assuming you guys maybe can or can't i'm not sure but they don't want you to use anything later like you can't show like on your website hey here's some stuff i did for whoever you know there i would say that that is uh like an intense lockdown i mean i've seen i've seen some of the ripple effects from it you know like what happens is like the pharmaceutical company 
uh, buys usage and they buy it for three years. You know, like they come to you and they you shoot and you do a great thing and they love it and everybody's super happy and the campaign runs and they're going to, you know, two and a half years, they bought three years usage. You know, and then if it shows up somewhere else, like as an ad, like it's on someone's, you know, the stylist portfolio oh, yeah. is now on there and it's, and it's on, someone can, you know, like the talent that was in it can say, you know, it's running again, you owe us usage. And the, 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 you know, I'm not sure, it seems like it's a little bit of a kooky thing, but it's just absolutely a thing that like, I coach all of the, the kids who come work for us as juniors. I'm like, all right, let's, let's talk about what we're not going to do. That's going to, you know, screw up our, our career, right? Do not put any of the stuff up on the website. Don't, go there. It's just, it's verboten. Don't go there at all. You know, but you're right. It's a, it's a funny quirk of the business, but every, every major pharmaceutical company kind of uh, drives that kind of thing. And mostly the, the agencies all go along with it. And I think it's mostly for a security thing. You know, there's so much from the legal, the legal end of it's way more intense yeah. in pharma versus consumer advertising. Yeah, I figured it had to be because I did a shoot for Abbott and they're like, okay, you can't use this. Basically, we want to own the images and or at least have, I think I ended up negotiating, it's basically the same thing, unlimited use in perpetuity, exclusive. So, I mean, it's, but I could still have it. And I've, somehow they said I, they agreed to let me still have it if I wanted to put it on the website. It was, okay, but it was. Uh, yeah, but then you can show what you've done, which is really yeah. cool. But it was tough to get them to, at first, they're like, no, you can't even put it on your website. And I was like, you, yeah. you could, yeah, I mean, you, kudos to you. You had to be a good negotiator because a lot of times they don't want that at all. Yeah. So they did at least allow that. But do you do, okay. do you do much pharmaceutical shooting? Do you think? Not a lot. Yeah. I'd like to do more, but I haven't been, you know, what I've done. I would, I would, I would think your, your new, your new work would probably have more appeal uh, than your earlier work. I mean, your earlier yeah, work was fun and you know youthful and whatever, but probably you'd only be in the market for like birth control or something aimed at a youth market. You know, yeah. um, you know maybe over the counter, you know, stuff for cosmetic or you know pimples or something like that. Yeah. But um, you know, your your newer stuff, which has got like a little raw edge and a little kind of more real feel. Uh, seems like it would have, you know, a, a broader appeal, you know, potentially I could see that happening. Yeah, we just started that. That's um, actually thanks to Maria, my new yeah. rep, my agent, because with Maria, I've been shooting that other kind of stuff, but I've always really enjoyed shooting the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah. And Maria and I were talking and we, she was like, you need to go shoot more of that and pulling out stuff. And I'm really enjoying the way I'm shooting now, what I'm shooting now over what I had been shooting and just are you getting are you getting a good response to it yeah. like you know yeah we sent it out to some people that I knew some people that she knew when we first redid the website and they were yeah. all I mean people who had already said they liked my work I had a couple I'm like okay now you know when I was like damn you're a good photographer and you know he had already said he liked my work before yeah and then there's one art producer who we get along really well but she's the kind that just gives you a hard time in general. Yeah. yeah. But so I sent it to her and she goes, wow, I couldn't believe you even shot that. I wouldn't be embarrassed to show that to people. 
So that was her way of saying, okay, I really like this new stuff. <laughs> yeah, good good job. But here's a backhanded compliment, my yeah, friend. I like her. And it's because when I would show her, we went to lunch one time, probably the second time we'd ever met. And she had brought her laptop to go over. And I'd had like three meetings mm -hmm. before I met her. We had lunch and I had like two or three meetings left to go that day. And we we're up in mm -hmm. New York. So she brought her laptop to lunch. And I showed her what was in my book and what was on my iPad at the mm -hmm. time. This before I changed over and started shooting the way I am now. Yeah. And she's looking at it and she goes, don't show this to anybody ever again. Get right. rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of that. This, no. She goes, this I like, this I like, this I like. And it was great because nobody had ever sat there, even the reps I'd had before, never sat there and went to my book and said, you got to get rid of this. I don't like this. This is not good. And so I liked her and we became even better friends at yep. that point. Yeah. I have a friend who I've had for years. First, he's a, he was a photo rep. Now he's doing stuff in movies. But the first time I met him, he's flipping through my portfolio, stops on a cover. And this was 20 years ago. Yeah. Stops on the cover and looks at it and goes, what the fuck is this doing in your book? And I went, <laughs> uh, he goes, is it because it's a cover? I was like, yeah. He goes, uh, -uh. So the copy's bad, the model's not great, the clothes are, eh, get rid of it. Yeah. So I like the way you shot it, the lighting's good, but no. It's a funny thing to kind of, it's hard to look at your own work because you worked hard to yes. do it and get it right and stuff like that. But it's super, super, super invaluable to have someone else look at it with, you know, fresh eyes. Like I love... I love working with my art producers when I work on a project, you know, because it's someone who's got an opinion. They're looking at books all day long, every single day, yeah. you know, all the time. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, this is the kind of mood I want. This is what I, you know, and they'll bring me a bunch of stuff, you know, and like I work with a lady these days a lot named Dawn and she's great. Very funny super you know she'll just tell you exactly what she thinks she does not have a filter and it's good and bad you know like she is <laughs> yeah. she's like a bundle of energy from the minute she wakes up till the minute she collapses you know and she'll be, bring me this guy and she goes i love this guy and i'm like dawn he's great but i'm not he should be like photographing the seals i mean like this is so macho you know, I feel like everyone's going to get their ass kicked. And she's like, but his work is great. I'm like, 100% it's great. She's like, all right, you're right. It's. She goes, I just keep trying to find the right fit for him. But uh, I'm like, this yeah. isn't it. This isn't it. We're supposed to be kind of, you know, nice. And she's like, okay, he's nice. I'm like, I'm sure he's nice. The work is really, you know, and then she'll show me something else. I'm like, okay, this is beautiful, but it feels like, you know, travel and leisure. She goes, he shoots a lot for travel and leisure. I'm like, it's a little too elevated. Like these people all feel like they stepped off a yacht or took the helicopter to here. You know, it's like, right. she's like <laughs> and she's like, she goes, but I like him a lot too. I'm like, I love him. You know? And what's funny is that one, the one that I was like, is too travel and leisure. Um, I ended up recommending him to another uh, a, a younger art director or agency, just saying the stuff you're talking about doing, I think this other photographer would be killer for this. And she ended up working with them. It was a great experience. The stuff turned out really neat. So you kind of meet really cool people, but yeah. it's it's fun to work with the the art buyers because once you're kind of like, this is what I'm looking for. Once I, you know, we went through yes on this one or no on that one. She's like, okay, now I know what you need. I got it. And she comes back and she'd have like four or five really great books, you know, and 
the other thing that I, I trust them for is like, for me personally, I've never been the guy who, who wanted to work with someone who was a big name, even if they were like kind of a jerk. Right. Yeah. It's just, it was like, life's too short. There's so many talented people out there that are not, you know, rude or unpleasant or whatever. So just find me some that are, you know, decent to work with. Because like I said, I like the collaboration. I don't, you know, I don't want to hear. I've never understood that with photographers where they get to that level where they're just rude. I've never encountered it with a photographer. And honestly, only once did I have a director that I thought was a complete jerk. Like I would never work with that person again, ever. And other than that, I've had mostly good relationships. You know, some where you're like kind of at the end, you're like, okay, that was fine. The work looks great. Let's all go our separate ways and call it a day. But there's so many really cool people. And so a lot of times for me, you know, my directive to, you know, the art buyers, bring me someone who's really talented. You know, I want them to be fresh. You know, I need real or I need stylized or I need, you know, fashiony or whatever, but they can't, they can't be a jerk. I just find someone that you would want to work with again, 10 more times and let's work with them. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I think it's the easiest thing. It's the best for the shoot because if there's that, if you don't get along that great, even if you just are okay with them, then it's still just kind of like, all right, let's just shoot this. It's good. It's not as, you can still get great work. I just, it's just not as enjoyable. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny years ago, I shot with someone like we, we had one setup where it just felt like the model was not getting it. She seemed to be clueless. She wasn't following directions. You know, there was a lot of things seemingly going wrong. And we reshot it the next day because we were so concerned that those shots were with a different set of models. And we were convinced that the, the new shots were going to be great and the old shots were going to be terrible. And this was in the days of film. So we get all the negative facts yeah. looking at the contact sheets. And the one who was like a complete bozo the camera ate her up. I mean, she looked beautiful in every single shot. When she was looking the wrong way, she looked beautiful. When she was staring out the window instead of at the light, she looked beautiful. You know, when she looked towards the camera and said, what? She looked beautiful. <laughs> and the other one that we thought it was going to be so much better, the camera was not nice to her. You know, and you're just like, these look terrible. And it was, you know, it's it was such a funny, like, reminder early in my career that, just because it feels good and it feels like you're in the flow does not mean those pictures right. are going to be the right pictures are going to be great. And just because it feels awkward or terrible or it's tense or no one seems to be able to get with the program doesn't mean those pictures aren't going to be magical in their own right. And it was just, it was so funny because the contrast between the two days of shooting was so crazy and the one that seemed so painful the film looked so beautiful and the one that seemed really great was completely forgettable wow i think that's why i love digital now because you can look at the monitor and be like "Mm, i don't like that or i love that keep going you know you just have that quick you know feedback of is this working or not yeah i think it's good too and it's because i remember sometimes we shoot polaroids yeah polaroid was the best shot Yep. You could never repeat it. And you <laughs> never found it again. So you look at the Polaroid, go, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. And then you go to shooting and the model can't do that same thing again or whatever wow. it is. And there's you shoot all this film and you go, damn, if they had just tweaked a little bit more and matched that Polaroid, it would have been perfect. 
Yeah. So now you're just shooting, you're shooting the test and you're like, I love those. And you're like, perfect. They're good. You know, yeah. we're going to turn on another light. That's okay. You know, we'll, we'll try something else now. I actually had that happen in LA. I was doing a shoot and we had shot up at the observatory yeah. and we had came down and we were shooting. There's a tunnel on your way to the observatory and we were shooting yeah. right at the front of the tunnel. And I was doing a light test as the model was walking by and I just took a quick shot and we didn't have a permit to shoot down in there. We were just trying to get it shot quick and get out. Mm -hmm. Some dude pulls up in a truck. I mean, I shot a light test, maybe two or three other shots. And this guy pulls up in a truck and asked if we had a permit. And I was like, uh, no, I'm just shooting this for my portfolio. And there are like 10 people standing around me. So he wasn't that stupid. He was like, yeah, if you don't have a permit, you got to go. So he sat in his truck and waited. That yep. test shot ended up being the shot. That's amazing. I uh, love that. It was kind of cool to have that happen. So, yeah, I sometimes digital is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think what's nice about it is, you know, that kind of um, that loop where you can look at it or you can get it quick. Yeah. You know, it's tricky shooting without a permit. You know, there's a there's obviously, you know, um, you can do run and gun and you can get some really cool things, but you got to you got to be super stripped down and fast. Yeah. You know, yeah, we did it one time in um, Central Park because we were mm -hmm. we had a permit to shoot, but not in Central Park. And we were literally around the edge of Central Park and somebody yep. thought was shot. It was for a department store. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we really need this shot of this golf shirt, but we want it to look like he's on a golf course playing golf. And this is like a last minute thing. Mm -hmm. So we saw Central Park. Like, Come on, let's go do it. We had like the umbrella, the reflector. And so we had one person on the lookout for security. Yeah. And or the cops. And so we started shooting. Somebody saw him coming. Everybody dropped everything, sat down like we were just hanging out and having a picnic or whatever. And then as soon as they're out of sight, got out, finished it. And it came out great. But yeah, it was one of those where you had to do it quick and be efficient. It's like a whole other, it's like a whole other mindset. You know, I've done, yeah. we did, we did a production where we shot three commercials in one day and it was like tiny budget and we did it one location. So we shot on the front porch then we moved inside, shot in the living room, and then we went out the back door and shot in the back. One, two, three, you know. And it was like it—it it was a tiny budget, you know. It was—it had to be super efficient. So the the director was great. He's like, I'm going to get a DP, you know, who can move fast, you know, like literally. The DP had to be able to light in like four or five minutes, you know. We wow. did not have time to like clown around, you know. We wanted to spend the time on the performance. But everybody on that crew knew that it was like kind of a run and gun shoot, and so. You know, if we got good coverage after two shots, we were done with that shot. You know, we had to move on because something else was going to take longer or be problematic right. or whatever. But it's a fun way to work sometimes. You know, if everybody on the crew is kind of like on board with it, you know, yeah. it kind of gives it like a little jolt of energy. Yeah, I know. agree. It can be fun occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I want to do it every shoot. Okay. Occasionally is better. Yeah, yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely fun. So you already answered my question about the art producers and how much you rely on them pretty much. So that so was kind of cool. That was, that was very cool. So much. And you know, the thing of it is, is a, a, a talented art producer is another one of those great partners to collaborate with. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, I count on them, you know, like obviously I'm going to have a point of view of I need more time for this particular part of it because it's tricky or, you know, are our numbers working out because, you know, this is what I think I feel like I need. Um, but it's almost like having an additional brain, you know, now there's like a brain that's, you know, taking care of so many of the things that you don't have time to take care of, like, 
you know, all the contracts and did all the talent, you know, and do they know they're not supposed to go out in the sunshine and get a sunburn the day before the shoot, <laughs> you know, making sure the the local producer is on top of, you know, keeping, you know, cracking the whip and we're falling behind. So, you know, I just say quietly to my producer, we need to pick up the pace. And all of a sudden everybody's, you know, getting whipped into shape, you know, so yeah. it's just, it's, it's, they're super talented. It's such a, uh, over the years, they've been like such an important collaborator for me, you know, and obviously, you know, as a copywriter, other people, you know, my partner's a copywriter, you know, he's like, you know, the art producers are fine, you know, he likes them, you know, but, you know, he never has to work with them. They're not like, he probably has that kind of relationship with the sound engineer, you know, like, I want that breath taken out of there. It feels awkward, you know, but for, from the art side, you know, the art producer, a good art producer is so, so, so important. And like when you go to video, the broadcast producer becomes the same thing. You know, they become another collaborator that helps you kind of bring that vision to life in an interesting way. Do you guys, are you still working from home? Yeah. How long is that going to last? You know, I think, um, I think we're sort of drifting back towards like a more hybrid model. Like if I wanted to go in, I could, we have like an app that you can go in and say, I want to come in and I'll be at my desk or I'll be at this other desk and you can reserve a spot, you know, to kind of keep it, uh, you know, like, uh, at one point we we could go back. We've been able to go back now for a while, but it was only a 25% capacity. You know, and I think, I think when we can go back more, I think people are going to go in. Some people are going to go in every day. You know, they live in the city and it's only four blocks away and their apartment's small and having the right. office is great. I think other people, you know, I live, I live about an hour north of the city. So it's a, it's a big commute, yeah. you know, and I didn't mind doing it. I mean, it was something I've done for years, but at the same time, not doing it's pretty great too. Yeah. You know, so like, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of expressed an interest in kind of going back some of the time, you know, like going in for meetings or going when the whole team's going to get together, or, you know. Is it easier whenever. to work with your art producer when you guys are together or is it's pretty much the same over Zoom or whatever? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I would say the actual shooting part would be way easier to be in person, you know. You know, but because, like I said, you know, we did a lot of, international production almost always like your initial look at all your locations was either from you know scout photos or you know library photos you'd do that remotely you know you'd yeah. you'd, you'd uh do some of your initial casting remotely you'd get videos or whatever you know you'd get you'd do some you know we've done some zoom things i always feel like if you're doing zoom casting it's better to have a person in the room if you can have it possible to see them in person yeah. You know, I've done it. I've done it completely remotely as well uh, for various reasons, you know, locations or logistics, but it's a little, it's a little trickier, but it's, it's funny. You know, the one producer I work with a lot these days, she works for our office in New York, um, but she's based out of Chicago. Okay. You know, her, her husband uh, had to move for his job and the agency's like, no, we want you to keep working for us. So, you know, she's uh, always been based out of, as long as I've worked with her, she's always been based out of Chicago, you know, and again, mostly we do location kind of stuff. So we end up, you know, we'll meet up on the location. She comes to New York, you know, when it's not COVID, you know, five or six times a year, you know, and she'll, you know, I'll hear her shouting in the office and, you know, (laughs) tackled with a big hug or whatever. She's so funny. But, um, 
you know, we'd look at things in person, you know, like if she has meetings or we might meet with a photographer, you know, she set up appointments in the city to talk to people. Um, but, you know, we work remotely for so much of it, you know, parts of it anyway, you know, it's always better when we're there together, you know, when you're yeah. shooting, but you can do a lot of that remotely. Uh, no, no problem. Yeah. That's what I was kind of wondering with people at the agencies of how they felt about the whole staying at home versus working together at the office kind of thing. Um, did you travel, did you travel much before COVID hit? You know, I mean, yes and no, you know, like you'd go through phases. So like, um, you know, when one of those, uh, you know, deeply ironic kind of things I had, uh, traveled so much, I hit like whatever they call it, platinum elite on wow. the secret flyer. Yeah. We'd done a, we'd done a, I had done some production up in Canada. I'd done another one down in like Argentina. And then we had done one in South Africa, all in about like an 18 month span. I can't remember exactly wow. how it all unfolded. So I hit the platinum elite as I was flying back from the, um, the South Africa trip. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. You know, like, I think, I think the one benefit of it was I went to like one of the fancy clubs on the way back, you know, like I, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it was an overnight flight and we stopped and, you know, well, we changed planes. I think I was in London and that was cool. You know, it's like, Oh, this is kind of swanky. And I'm like, so cool. I, you know, got there. And then because we had shot so much, we shot all our photography, we shot all our video. And I was on that client hundred percent of the time. We never traveled again, like the entire next year. <laughs> And so like I'm platinum elite, I never set foot on a plane, you know, the, we were supposed to, and then we, you know, schedule a change, we do something different. And so that, uh, that went up to uh, basically right before COVID happened and then oh. you know, COVID happened. So it was, uh, you know, like one you of those things. Like, can't go to fancy clubs anymore. It's all gone. It's back to like, you know, basic, but oh. it just made me laugh because you know, people would always joke about whether they were getting there or not getting there. And I finally made it and then never took a flight with it, which just made me, you know, laugh. It's like, okay, that's, that's so funny. I have a friend of mine, I'm pretty sure who has that level because he, well, I know he does because he travels what well, used to, he was traveling like three to four days a week, every week mm -hmm. to the point where he was late for a flight and they put him on a little cart or whatever and drove him out to the plane to put him up on the plane. And we were talking about it because he got us like, we all went on a trip together last, I guess it was right before COVID hit or something. And uh, we were, everybody had like group, whatever was like mm -hmm. five, six, whatever. Well, he was always group one. So right. He went up and it's like, Hey, I got these other guys with me. So we all got on group one with him and we yep. were talking about it. He's like, it's cool. All this season, but you don't ever want it like to constantly stay because it means you're spending your life in an airport. And he said, it's nice yeah. to have it. He said, but I, I would give it up. I can stay home more. Yeah. I mean, I think that's my feeling. I mean, I like, but he does a lot of short trips. So he went doing like the longer ones like you for shorter times. He's like every single week. So it's probably better on the longer trips. I would think. Yeah, I would say, I would say, I mean, like, you know, when you're just grinding out, like we did some things where we did focus groups in different cities, you know, and that can be, pretty exhausting you know by week three of it you're like i don't even know what airport i'm in look the same oh here's starbucks and you know here's the here's the bose you know headphones again in the kiosk on the side of the thing and you're like right you know the first time you're like why would you pay that much for those and then by week three you're like oh those look really good maybe I need, like new noise canceling headphones different than the 
noise canceling headphones I already have. You know, it's just like, I think it starts to feel like a fever dream eventually, you know, you're just like, you know, uh, I prefer to travel a little bit and then not travel for a while, you know? Yeah, I kind of, I'm with you on that. I feel that way. All right, I'm gonna switch totally from business to something else. Okay, on your Instagram, there is maybe a 1961 Cadillac, something like that. Uh, I think it was just a random shot that I saw of like a great car that someone had, you know, like. Oh, I thought that was yours. Okay. No. So I have, um, I just have like, uh, you know, like a basic, you know, Jeep Wrangler, which is good where we live. That's what I have. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have, we live, it's a lot of hills. Our, our house is on a kind of dirt road. So, um, you know, in the winter we get a lot of snow and ice. So the, the Wrangler's just kind of good as a, you know, get around. I don't have any kind of vintagey car of my own. I do have an older motorcycle, but I don't ride a lot these days. I used to ride a lot more, but yeah, I used to ride a lot too until we moved more into, I guess we're in the suburbs, but still closer to the city. So the traffic's a lot worse. And yeah. We used to live a little farther out and I yeah. go to my in-laws and ride forever. But since we moved, I'm going, I don't really ride much anymore. You know, North Carolina, some of it's beautiful. Yeah. On that trip, when I moved back from Texas, I went out of my way to uh, go to North Carolina and um, I unpacked. I had packed the truck a certain way so I could roll the motorcycle out and I uh, rode on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah, that's for, nice. You know, for about uh, three hours just to kind of experience it. But someone I had met in college and talked about how great it was. And so, you know, since I was there and everything, you know, uh, all of Western North Carolina was so pretty. I mean, the riding was beautiful. Yeah, I used to go to school up there at uh, up in Boone and I had a motorcycle at the time when I was up mm-hmm. there. So I would just, if I didn't have class or whatever, yeah. and I had a few hours, I would just take off and just go ride down all these old country roads with nobody on them. And yeah. it was great. It was lots of fun. I did the exact same thing in Indiana. I yeah. bought the bike when I was out there and then I loved it. It was like, you'd go two minutes out of town and there was no one around. You were the yeah. only person on the road. And so that was just amazing. You know, coming, when I lived in New York city for a while, it was not a great motorcycle riding experience. You really yeah. just felt like you were riding around with a giant target on your back, you know? Like, yeah. I was paranoid cool. as hell the entire time. It was, I never, because I used to ride to relax. And so in the city, it was hard to do that. You know, I did a little bit, but it was, you know, it was too crazy most of the time. Anytime I was in the city riding, I was constantly looking in both mirrors, checking to see. Every time I stopped, I was I constantly had my hand on the clutch and yep. the gas, ready yep. to pop it at any second, yep. waiting yep. for somebody to hit me from behind. Oh my God. It's just stressful. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The other thing I saw on Instagram, your ring. Yep. Okay. You keep losing your ring, man. Yard work, man. So all, all this COVID stuff, you're like, oh, I can go do some things that I didn't have time to do. I'm going to go, you know, take care of the gardener. We're going to plant a flower or whatever. And so um, the first time I lost it, uh, I was doing stuff. My daughter was helping. We were doing some stuff. I'd been, but I'd been everywhere that day. Like I'd been in the backyard. I'd been in the side yard. I'd been in the front yard, you know, like everywhere. We even had redone some fence posts for the gate you know like to this little garden and my daughter's like do you think we need to dig up the post and see if it fell off oh. i'm like we're just not gonna i said because even if we get a metal detector you know like it, forget it right and then like a couple weeks later my son was raking a path and he saw 
the gold in the leaves. And I guess it fell off when we were fixing the gate on the path. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. And so that was so great. And then it fell off again, doing yard work uh, in the fall. You know, my wife was like, she was so upset. I was say, how'd your wife feel about all that? She was not good with it. She kept saying it's a sign. I'm like, it is not a sign. <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> I took off work gloves and it fell off in the glove. Yeah, I was just saying, is this, what's it a sign of? It's, she's like, it's a sign that things are not good. I'm like, it's not a sign. It's <laughs> an accident. You know, and then I hadn't, I hadn't, um, I hadn't gone to get another ring. We talked about it. I'm like, I don't know. And then this spring I was cleaning up flower beds and thinking, oh, these will be nice, you know? And then there it was just the gold was sitting there in the leaves. And I'm like, that's amazing. I should go play Lotta, lightning strikes. I know. I only have one story. I have one story similar, but it was when I was very young and I lost a tooth. Yeah. So I lost this tooth and we had this big pile of rocks in our driveway that my dad had brought in to put out someplace. And there were all these tiny little white rocks. Mm-hmm. And I took my tooth that had fallen out while I was out there messing around and like put it in the rocks to see how it would match with the rocks. Lost it. Couldn't find the damn tooth anywhere after I did that for some reason. I was probably six years old. Right. Maybe five. And so I'm looking everywhere for this tooth. I can't find it. All the thing is I'm not getting my money from the tooth fairy tonight. Yep. My dad comes home. He's trying to help me. We're spending like 10, 15 minutes into looking for this tooth, about to give up. And I see this ant walking by, right? Carrying my With tooth. your tooth? Yeah, carrying my tooth. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's it was insane. a trip. Yeah. Wow. That was interesting. Yeah. So that's the only story I have similar to the to the ring thing. But yeah, you should probably maybe eat a lot more salt before you go out or swell up or something. Do you know what was you know what was funny was before COVID, you know, like when we were still like doing the work thing, I was, you know, eating badly, you know, I was sitting on the train a lot, you know, I wasn't getting much exercise. And so I had just taken the ring and put a little extra space in it. I'd taken the jeweler and they had opened it up like a size because it was too tight. Right. And so then with COVID happened, you know, like I'm getting up and instead of sitting on the train for an hour and a half, I'm, you know, doing some work around the yard and I lost some weight. And so now not, the combo of making the rig binker and then like losing <laughs> a little bit of weight, it just started pulling off all the time. It was it was not good, but you're right. That was a funny thing on Instagram. People are like, what are you doing? How about some super glue? You know, too funny. All right. Last question for you. And I'll let you go. I know you got stuff to do. What's the strangest, most interesting thing that's ever happened to you since you started in this whole graphic design advertising business? The strangest, most interesting thing that happened to me. You know, I was, I had been, we had done some production over in London and um, my partner was flying back to New York. I was flying back to Florida but my wife was down there and I was going to help her move back up. She'd gone down to do a, a project down there. And so I was going to fly from London to Florida. So I was going the next day. And so I went out to dinner that night by myself and I just asked the concierge and they sent me you know said this place is good go here i'm like all right so i was sitting there by myself and there was a big table next to me you know kind of rowdy and i kept thinking i kind of recognized the guy but i couldn't place him and then he's 
kind of chatting with me and saying, Hey, you know, what's going on. And, you know, he seems nice enough. And we're talking a little bit and periodically he'd turn around and talk to me because he felt like I, he should include me in the party or whatever. And then I'm still trying to figure out exactly what's going on because I'm, I know I recognize him now and I can't place it. And then another crew of people runs in to join the party and the new crew is like insane. They are wildly amped up and crazed. And then the people, one of the new guys that has arrived, people are yelling, Damien, 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 you got to calm down. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Julian Schnabel is the guy who's been at the table and asking me if I'm okay, do I need anything, you know, whatever. And the guy who's rolled in is Damien Hurst with his crew. And then they're like, the whole thing, it was such a funny thing because, you know, Damien's like, do you want to party with us? I'm like, I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to roll in that league. He's like, okay. And so he tears away and then he tears back and tears away. He's like, you know, perpetual motion machine. But Julian Schnabel starts talking to me and I'm like, you're Julian Schnabel, aren't you? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I love your work. I mean, it's really interesting. He's like, oh, I'm having an opening tomorrow night. You should come. Really? And it was like, it was, I don't know why I had my ticket, you know, like companies like this is when you're on the plane, you know, I'm flying back to Florida. But I mean, it was one of those things where like in hindsight, I'm like, I probably should have just figured out how it would have, what it would have taken to fly a day later and gone to the yeah. opening just because it was such a crazy, you know, funny scene. So I hung out at the table next to them and chatted with them for about 45 minutes, you know, as Damien came flying in and out, you know, I was cool. talking to everybody else at the restaurant and Julian Schnabel was telling me about what he was doing. It was just, it was a really funny conversation. Really interesting. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, Dan Ryan, thank you so much, man, for being on here. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's been really nice talking with you, Mark. I can't wait to see it up there.